Hi, and welcome to our podcast, There's No Business Like No Business. We'll have conversations with all types of people in the live events industry to see what's been going on, or not, over the last year, and what hopefully we'll be looking forward to soon. We'll expand this a bit to see how the COVID downturn has affected our friends in the worlds of performing arts, travel, and hospitality. As a matter of fact, we'll talk to just about anyone. Here to guide us along the way are your hosts, Dave Eveson and Andrew Douglas. Hello, Andrew, one more time. Good day, Mr. Eveson. How are you, sir? I am splendid. It is a gorgeous day up here. It's, uh, I, I think last time we talked, it was, there was a little bit of a what's Fahrenheit and what's Celsius. So we have 13 Celsius outside, sunny. So that is, I don't know, 60 degrees. We're getting that is there. fantastic. It's not yeah. bad. It's not bad. We have, uh, we have about 45 degrees with wind gusts that make it feel like 20 degrees. So if we then reverse that over to now you're leaning metric, into metrics. Yeah. Yeah. No. Then, then, then we start looking at, at what's that? That's about 18 and minus four. Yes. <laughs> that sounds like bourbon weather. That also carries from last week. That, that was a, a fun Friday night, I tell you. It, it was, it was. I, that was, uh, for us, it was a wonderful Friday night for our guest. Uh, it was a beautiful Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Yeah. And I also know that you have just come back from your first flight of 2021. You went and did a site check. I did. And it was, it was very, very strange to be getting on that first flight of 2021 it was it was quiet but there were more people than i than i expected on the plane uh i it was vegas so but as a, as a percentage of the plane are we talking full half uh, three quarters i would say i would say we're probably about 75 percent on the on the vegas seattle leg okay okay yeah it was it was a really interesting day you still seeing the different groups of people and how they all decide to adhere or not adhere to the CDC guidelines or the federal guidelines. Um, there truly is a, a, a segment of people that just do not give a damn. Yeah. Is Vegas it, as a whole, is that one of the cities is Nevada, uh, you know, like Texas, is it wide open for business to people in gambling without masks or, you know, how, how does that set up in there? Well, there are masks and dividers. So every, all of the tables now have dividers per person or per, you know, if it, generally you're not a group of two, but if you're, if you're watching somebody gamble, then you would be standing behind them in their little section. So walking through the casino, there are plexiglass dividers everywhere 
uh, masks are mandatory. And uh, all in all, you know, I didn't see too many people without the masks. And I think that's just because the, the casinos are very, very well regulated and patrolled like they like they are anyway. I mean, you're always on camera in a casino anyway. So if you're not wearing a mask, you're not going to be able to get away with lying about it and saying, no, 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 I was wearing this. Right. They'll have footage. Do you know what I would your- need if I go to Vegas? I, I would need a plexiglass divider between my hand and my wallet. <laughs> Because I just don't do well down there. So I just, if I'm going to lose money, I'm going to lose it in a really good restaurant. And that's about as far as I go. And I think I've been there the last five times. Do you remember the name? Just off the strip, there's that uh, island, uh, something uh, island restaurant. It's like $12 steaks. And uh, I keep going Ellesmere Island, but it's not. Um, and, uh, the pints, they, they make their own beer there and it's like $4 for a pint, $2 for a pint, depending, it, that's the place. Don't recall. And they have gambling there. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to find that out before the end of our show. I think we've been there. My last visit is really go get a nice dinner. When you're done, go to this place and, uh, and just spend the rest of the night there. Cause it's a hoot. It's warm, nice local people. And a lot of show Very people cool. are, are, uh, are down there. Is this as well. your shout out? Is this today's <laughs> shout out from Dave Houston? <laughs> no, I'm going to take my shout out a little bit up there, uh, gotcha. up, uh, from there, but that actually one day, my, my shout out may be that place. There you go. I do have a, a little bit of gambling advice for you, seeing as that you, you mentioned the plexiglass between your hand and your wallet. If you can do one thing, you figure out how much money you are willing to throw away on your trip, whether you're stepping outside and making it rain into the Las Vegas Strip or putting it into a machine or giving it to a dealer, you figure out that amount of money and get the cash ahead of time and that's all you take with you and when it's done it's done you can go to the bar and drink your sorrows away did you by chance uh when you came back because this is something i always do take the remainder of the soap and the shampoo back so it's not wasted those little containers and this is a this is a covid thing for me now because I've been told that I really can't go out in the road again until I finish every one of those little containers that I've brought back over the last 25 years. And did you, do you do that? Do you, do you happen to bring that back? I don't anymore. Um, I did in the past and thanks to COVID, it's now all gone. Oh, I just took the time to, <laughs> to use and, all and, of it. You know, and you shower three times a day, it'll be gone in no time. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have to shower three times a day? Only if I've got a lot of hotel shampoo to use. Well, I, I, I'm going to throw a little segue here because we were at that point that I think I could say there's somebody waiting in the wings that has way more soap and shampoo from their travels because of the amount of traveling that this person does. I think I travel a lot. Then I look at you and I think, oh my God, you travel more than I do. And then there's always this person. So I will leave it to you to uh, give us the introduction. That sounds like a great idea. Well, we do have a world traveler, a world-renowned traveler with us today, and uh, that is Robert Newton. Robert Newton is the global lead event production for EY. 
He has 25 years in design, animation, and leading world-class corporate event production teams. Robert has produced events in over 20 countries worldwide and fully appreciates creative, collaborative aspects of taking a concept and creating experiences that are both innovative and enduring. Robert's zen outside of producing events is illustration and creating music. And fun fact, he might even talk to us about it later in the show. He's also spent some time in the armed forces. Ooh. Robert, welcome to our humble show today. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. And, uh, and, and speaking of, of, of my service and, uh, and shampoo, um, I, it's <laughs> this funny because well, well, many, many years ago, I was in the, I was in the, uh, in the Navy. I was stationed aboard the USS Eisenhower, which is an aircraft carrier. Uh, stationed out of uh, Norfolk, Virginia. But my, at the time, my mom uh, worked for Merrill Lynch, and she traveled uh, substantially around the southeast. And one of her gifts, every time she would come to visit uh, me, because I was a, a poor Navy guy up in Norfolk, she would always bring me a whole bag of, uh, of hotel shampoo and conditioner uh, that I would share with my, with my mates there on the ship. Though, uh, but that, that brought back some memories. Did everybody like run to you when your mother came and just, oh, I get, you know, give me that shampoo. Give me like the specific ones that they liked the best, a certain hotel. Uh, well, I think they were all pretty much the same, but yeah, they always, they always loved with my mom and, and, and my dad uh, sent us stuff. My mom also would, uh, would send an, uh, an Easter basket uh, every, Ooh. every year. So everybody, you know, <laughs> on my, in my, uh, in my group would, uh, would always love the, uh, all the chocolate bunnies that my mom would send. Now, how, how does that work when you're out at sea? Can you get, I, I know nothing about this, I, apart from my nephew, who's a, a sonar uh, guy with the Canadian uh, Navy. I haven't really talked to him too much because he's always out in a boat somewhere the other side of the world. But when you were on the ship, how would you get parcels? Would would you just pick it up at ports or something? Or There was actually something called underway replenishment, where a, a ship would pull up next to us, uh, and, and there would be these cables that would run between the two ships. And uh, and it would run cargo between the two. So and I you know I will say I probably was only out, out at sea probably about a year out of the four that I was in. It was a rare time in history where we weren't involved with any major conflict. It was in the in the mid '80s. It was it, it predated uh, the Gulf War, and so there you know we weren't out at sea as much as the ships are these days. So uh, so I, I was in port uh, quite a bit. So they basically cable you stuff, literally. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Is it something you really enjoyed doing or were you just kind of putting some time in learning or was it, I have to go to sea? Uh, no, in retrospect, it was just something I, I wanted to try something new. Uh, I wanted to travel a little bit before I went to, to college and, uh, and it was, it was really invaluable experience. Uh, you know, the friends that I made were, you know, I still, I still have to this day, uh, the places that I saw, um, you know, as a young 20 year old, you know, went up and down the Mediterranean a couple of times, South America. So, you know, I was able to see a good uh, part of the world before I kind of got into the reality of school and, and work and so forth. Little did I know I was going to see a good part of the world at work as well. <laughs> yeah. A little deja vu, but probably in yeah. better locations. Uh, exactly. Now. Yeah. Right. And then you went to, uh, you went to, from what I understand, the Atlantic College of Art. That is correct. Yep. I consider myself an illustrator first and foremost. It's something I've done all my life. I've got catalogs of, of illustrations, books of illustrations that I've, that I've maintained throughout the years. So it's been, you know, as Andrew said at the, at the top of the call, kind of my zen. Uh, I, I knew I wanted to go, you know, into something creative. I wanted to use my art, uh, you know, for something as, as a career. Um, at the time when I went into school, I wasn't, 
sure what that was going to end up looking like, uh, but I, I studied a lot of new technologies that were coming out. You know, it was very, it was, it was a big transition in the world of technology at the time. It, it, it predated laptop computers, cell phones, and, you know, but there was this new thing called multimedia. Uh, there was a little software at the time uh, called Macromedia uh, Director, which, yep. you know, ultimately ended up being Flash years later. Um, but you know, my, when I was a youngster, I would create old school cell animations. I mean, I would hand draw the cells, you know, 24 frames a second, photograph them and create animated movies. And so I learned, started learning this macromedia software in school where I was able to, to, to use these old, old school animation techniques with this new technology and also my illustration um, skills. And, um, and so I, I really got very involved and immersed in, in that application, which ended up becoming also some programming, uh, you know, some other editing components that I ended up, that was really ended up ultimately being my sort of my open door into EY when I first started as a contractor back in, in 95. Do, do you ever look back and go, geez, I wish I had drawn Homer? <laughs> no, I, you know, I don't, it, it's funny because I didn't, I I, I didn't really want to be a, an illustrator per se. It was it, as a career because it was, you know, I, I, again, you know, as, as Andrew said, it was my, I call it my Zen, my art. And so I was always very careful, you know, I didn't want to commoditize that because it's such a personal thing to me to, to draw, to illustrate. And, and um, um, short answer to your quick question, uh, I do sometimes regret that. But uh, long answer is, you know, I, I I wanted to do something outside of illustration. I was you know I was starting to learn programming and I was learning you know um, you know video productions and things like that. But but art was something that I always wanted to keep a little bit at bay because it was my kind of comfort zone, right? And I was I never really had drawn for anyone else. It was just kind of my my way of uh, of, uh, of of just kind of finding you know peace in the moment. Um, it, it helped me when I was in the Navy and off at sea and, and away from family and, you know, friends and, and so forth. Uh, and, and so, and I'm going to fast forward since we're talking about illustration. I'm, you know, over COVID, I've been, I've been going back and cataloging a lot of my illustrations over time. And I was never a, a journalist. I didn't, you know, sometimes I did, but I never really kept notes of where I was or what I was doing. But as I started putting together these chronological albums of, of my art, all of a sudden, all these memories started coming flooding, flooding back as to where I was at the time, what I was thinking, uh, and it really, they really, I'd never realized it, but they're actually, a, you know, my, my history, I guess. Um, and they were all just kind of, oftentimes, just random drawings or illustrations based on what I was thinking at the time where I was. So uh, it's always been very personal to me. My, my viewpoint around it has changed a little bit over time. Um, because I ended up drawing quite a bit with EY for EY, but uh, but at the time I was um, you know I took a little bit of a different direction from illustration when I first started. Being somebody who has been fortunate enough to uh, see quite a bit of your work over the years that we've that we've known each other, it's truly incredible, and I can I, I do feel fortunate because I know it's a, a very personal thing for you. But it, some of your work is absolutely incredible, and I, I know in the last year you shared a a time lapse of you doing an illustration, which was extremely cool. Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate that. Are you referring to the? Is it the uh, monkey, the ape? Yes. 
that that was something that I was uh or that's actually Caesar from uh, uh Planet of the Apes. So that was something that I had thought about doing for probably 30 years that I, you know, it's one of those things and and this is what I try to tell people if there's if there's something you feel like you can't do, just try it, attempt it. Don't don't shove it to the side. Give it a shot. And and this is something that, you know, like when I, when I was a kid and my sister would do and a lot of people can do this. Um I would I would write my name with my right hand the correct way. And then with my left hand, while I was doing it, writing it with my right, I could mirror it with my left hand. So write, I would write the opposite. And it's, it's, it's a pretty common thing to do if you play around with that. You're just kind of mirroring one side with the other. And uh, I'd always wanted to try that with, a, um, with an illustration. Could I draw something with, with, with two hands at the same time? The, you know, basically a mirror image. And I, I don't know, I guess COVID has kind of inspired me to kind of start thinking a little bit more about that. And I was just kind of waiting for the right image to come along. And I saw something on, on Planet of the Apes recently, and I saw this photograph of, of Caesar the ape, and it kind of, uh, uh, it just kind of, a light bulb went off. And I, so I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. And I just set up a camera and I spent, it literally took 30 minutes to, uh, just to give it a shot and see if it worked. And, um, and it did, it was an interesting result. When I was a kid, I won the Senior Art Award for grade uh, 11 and 12, but I think it's senior uh, in, in, uh, in the U.S. And I won this art award, and I thought I was pretty good. And then years later, so this is probably about six years ago, my mom gave me uh, a framed scene that was sewn, uh, felt, and it was a, kind of an African scene, and and I just thought it was so good, the colors and everything. And, and she goes, you did that. And I said, get out. I, I'm really, actually, I was really good. And I put it up on the wall. And at Christmas, uh, not a COVID Christmas, but pre-COVID Christmas, my brother came over and says, said, why do you have my painting hanging on your wall? <laughs> so it just took me down to, well, maybe I uh. wasn't that good. But I, 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 I wish I could see that, that animation, uh, maybe... Uh, I could uh, get one from you. Is it is it like a YouTube thing or? It's on a, it's on my website. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. So it's 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 online. Great. I'm gonna go have a look. It's fantastic. So you completed your arts degree, and then what did you do after school? Did you leave to take a year off to travel, or did you go dig right in? No, I, I spent about six months working for a, a small graphic design shop uh, where I was. I was doing a little bit of illustration, but doing some multimedia, creating some some animations. At the time, I was also doing some three D three uh, D design, three D animations. And uh, and again, I'm going to date myself, but I was using three D Studio DOS version. Oh, so I know a lot of our listeners aren't going to know what DOS is. But, I sure do. <laughs> uh, but it was a very old school, uh, you know, three uh, D design. But um, but I, I I started becoming very passionate about. About about you know creating 3D models and things like that, which which you know later on I would I would it would also kind of resurface again, you know uh, with the UI. So I worked for for this small design firm for a little while, and um, and someone had had mentioned to me that uh, that EY was looking for a multimedia designer. Uh, I didn't I didn't know what multimedia was. Again, it was a new thing. It was you know it it we we weren't you know technology was just transitioning, you know into uh, I don't think anybody had, you know, laptops weren't around. I don't even think cell phones were that common at the time, maybe a little bit. But, uh, um, but so basically, I I, um, I, I did a con- some contract work creating some multimedia or interactive presentations um, uh, for for EY for about six months, 
uh, before I was hired on to to take over the role of their of their new to create the new multimedia department uh, back in ninety five. I always find that when you move into something, you've got a little bit of knowledge. If you've got a good vision and and a keen sense of uh, uh, work ethic, that you start dabbling in something that like that, and somebody walks from behind you and they just look and they go, "Oh my God, you can do that!" And suddenly you become the hero of the moment. And he's like, hey, we've got a job. <laughs> we got a job open right. for you. And is that kind of what, what happened because of your knowledge and your art background to, to, to get you to that place? Yeah, it was, it was being at the right place at the right time. And, and there was an opening for that. And as you mentioned, you know, the technology was kind of getting there. Um, you know, EY was still trying to find their way on how to kind of get into that, uh, how, to tr- how to transition from, I mean, when I started, with EY, we still had the, uh, you know, the, the, the wax-based printers with the overhead, the overhead printers and things like that. So we we're still kind of, you know, get, trying to get out of the, you know, the old school, uh, you know, ways of doing design and things. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think a lot of it was being at the right place at the right time. Um, and, 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 and when this opening came up, a friend of mine who was a designer was not a multimedia designer. So he, he recommended this, uh, this for, for me. And then I, I, I took it on. So, yeah, so I think a lot of it just worked out being at the right place at the right time. So how did you then transition into events, what you're doing now? And, and obviously that, that has changed over the years, but what was the, the catalyst for change from, from that to the live event side? Well, interestingly enough, I started as I was, I was programming these presentations, but I, I was also creating kind of cell-like animations uh, using Flash also, and, and I was literally creating uh, opening uh, videos, opening animations for for events early on, for local events, regional ones, um, and and I would I would go on site to these these programs, and I would you know I would also support from a graphic standpoint, but at the time I was also in a band, and um, and I was I was acutely aware of of what the energy of a live show meant. Um, you know what it what it meant to 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 perform what it meant the symbiotic nature between an audience and and what's happening on stage so i w- it, you know it was a kind of a, a mixture of of where i was at what i understood about live events which wasn't a lot certainly not anywhere close to where i am now but but i knew that there was something that you know that energized me um that captivated me uh and and it was an art in and of itself you know to kind of create that experience and so very early on i probably wasn't you know, wasn't around a month or two before, you know, I started creating either graphic elements or animated elements for, uh, you know, for, for events, for local uh, programs. And I was just kind of, I was capped, I I was bitten by the, by the bug, so to speak. And I was, uh, you know, I know that I knew at that point, there was really no, no looking back. And and that kind of had to be my involvement because I got so much out of it to work on the the concept of something and then actually see it come to fruition with an audience responding to it all. Um, it was something that, uh, that moved me in a way that I just, uh, you know, I knew that was, that was going to be my direction. Absolutely. I, th- I think that's, that's the bite for all of us. I, I mean, that's something that, that, that I love about the live event industry is being able to create something and, and then see the reaction and feel the reaction and, and have your own reaction, uh, to, to what's been created. It's, uh, um, it's like no other. We're going island hopping on this episode's shout out, Mama's Fish House on the island of Maui. It's not often that we get to do events on Maui, but when we do, I have to make reservations there. 
Mama's is located in an original Hawaiian beach house in the small town of Paia. It's a beautiful setting for lunch or dinner. The menu boasts local fish that are brought in daily and include the location it was caught and the name of the fisherman. Reach them at mamasfishhouse.com. If you have a couple of extra days in Maui, you should know that the world famous Hana Highway is just three minutes away from the restaurant. Take the highway and its 59 bridges and 629 curves for four hours and you arrive in Hana. The drive is one of the most beautiful in the world. And don't forget to pick up the I Survived the Hana Highway t-shirt. My friend Jane and I did the round trip in just one day. Things you do in the day off during your sight check. And don't forget your gravel. For the road, that is. That leaves me to ask about your band. <laughs> the, is this, was this a recording band? It was a, a bar band? Um, did you have long hair? Was there any metal, any dance music? What, what did you, what did you do? Yeah, well, that, at that particular time, I believe it was an, um, an original band that I have to, uh, I'll have to send you a link for that because we were, uh, we have a performance on YouTube where it w we did a morning show. We had to get up at like oh. five o'clock in the morning to go do a morning show in Atlanta. Uh, but, uh, but it was my, and I was playing percussion in that, in that particular uh, band. Uh, they were called Random Notes. Uh, but following that one, I had a couple of other uh, small bands and then I, Believe it or not, I was uh, I was in a, a Grateful Dead tribute band for about three years, where I played drum set. Do you still have the tie dye? I've got a few tie dyes, yeah, and I still <laughs> I still play I play some Dead here and there with my uh, with my uh, with my friends. I still hang out with all those folks. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah. I have a, a similar band, but we didn't play a morning show. Uh, we just played mostly basements. Uh, we did a. This is back in late 80s, I guess. And we were uh, kind of like a Ramones-type band, 4-4 uh, like four, four rock and roll. Nice. Uh, and we had so much fun. And a friend of ours, who is our drummer, uh, lives in Montreal, and he reached out to us a little while ago and said, hey, do you want to do this again? So we have now uh, a 32-year before and after picture of the band playing um, and it is astounding how people change. <laughs> we were actually quite a yeah. good looking band when we were young, that sort of black leather jacket. Yeah. I can't say that anymore. That's, I don't think the jackets fit. The yellow, the, the white t-shirts are all larger <laughs> than previous. Yep. Yeah, yeah, but you can still rock the elevator boots, Dave. <laughs> we can still, yes. <laughs> yeah. That was a, that's a different story. <laughs> different band and and so is that as kind of far as you took it to the you, you took it to uh uh random notes on the atlanta morning show yeah and we had a and, and the grateful dead band had we had a standing gig at a, at a at a at a little bar near emory university here in atlanta that we would play once a i think once a month for i don't know how many years um we'd play a friday and a saturday night and it was really uh it's very interesting because if any, anybody who knows anything about the Grateful Dead is back in the back in the old days they they were known for never having a set list they would just go out there and just kind of feel the moment of the you know of the of, of the time and they would they would just go from one song to the next but they wouldn't really have it all planned out it was very uh, um, organic in structure lighting guys and, love uh, that what's that <laughs> lighting guys I love said lighting that. guys love I, that. I, of course yes. <laughs> But so so that was my you know first big 
band where I was playing drums in, and uh, and our lead guitarist was uh, I'm sorry, rhythm guitarist. He was kind of the band leader, and he was um, you know, we played Friday and Saturday night, like I said, um, uh, you know, once a month, and uh, and we would never have it. We would play for like three or four hours. Uh, we wouldn't have a set list. We wouldn't play the same thing on Saturday that we played Friday. So it was very educational uh, for me as a drummer, as a musician, to kind of kind of feel the vibe and, and follow along and kind of help weave that that fabric of music, you know, for two days without knowing, you know, what it's going to turn out like. So uh, it was a, it was an <laughs> educational experience. Andrew will never tell you this, but if you do back on the road one day. Uh, uh, sit around a, a, a cocktail bar. You should ask him about when he was in uh, early high school. He came to me and asked me if I could help him learn how to sing Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. Somewhere <laughs> around there's a video, I think, of the school dance or there, something that... Isn't there a video? There is. It was, it was Battle of the Bands. Uh, you were close. Uh, it wasn't living on the living on a prayer, but it was you give love a bad name, oh, and yeah. I cringe and skip any single time that song comes up. Now, <laughs> we performed it uh, for a battle of the bands, but there was also a battle of the bands preview, and that was the one song we we had a set that we were doing, and it was it was five songs, and this was one of the songs, and. At the preview, we went out and we rocked the performance. It was absolutely fantastic. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon for the preview. And then the night of the Battle of the Bands, that was our opening song. And it almost destroyed our performance because we thought we had done it so well during the day. And we, explicit alert, we fucked this up seven ways from Sunday as our opening song on the Battle of the Bands. But we did crawl back. We did crawl back and and had, you know, a, a great remainder of the set. But it was just that I realized shortly after that night of performance uh, that uh, that wasn't for me. No, I, I think that was actually, you gave that song a bad name. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> I, yeah, but I, I, I teed that one up for you, I believe. <laughs> you sure did. You, you, uh, I, I have seen the video, and I must say, I was actually kind of impressed by, uh, maybe it was the preview that I listened to, but I thought it was pretty good in the long run. I, think, I have so, to see that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll let Andrew it's dig hidden. that one up <laughs> from six feet under somewhere in a forest. <laughs> but uh, I, I look forward to actually seeing, seeing your uh, morning show video. That, yeah, I'll send it your way. Yeah, yeah please a, do. Please do. do. Now, now, Robert, before we get into some more work stuff and COVID stuff or whatever else we're, we're going to end up talking about, one thing while we're on music, I did want to bring it up because you have passed on your musical genes to your son, who by all accounts and, and from what I've witnessed is a kick-ass drummer. Yeah, I don't. I, I wouldn't give myself enough uh, the credit of saying i passed on the genes because he he's he's so he surpassed me when he was about nine years old so he's a (laughs) he's a good drummer we you know we got him involved i mean part of it i did force him to play drums starting when he was like one years old but but um but you know he's he's been involved with this this a lot of people have heard school of rock program uh he's been involved with that since he was about nine and um and he has a he, he he he's a pretty good drummer by the time he was 14 he was in a 
he was in a band that uh, they have an iTunes album. They were playing all the the big clubs in Atlanta, so they were um, you know an original rock band that did some really good covers as well. So uh, so yeah, he's he's um, it's it's nice to see him sort of evolve, and he's doing it the right way, you know, with lessons and all of that. I I just kind of sort of tried to figure it out later in life, but um, I and I do it for fun. But yeah, so it's 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 I appreciate that, Andrew. He's um, you know, it's good watching that that him evolve with that with his music. Uh, now you're you actually have taken your drumming. I I believe you are. St- still somewhat involved in the West African percussion ensemble is that true or or did you do it no i did do it yeah for, so it. Okay. so during yeah so during that time period when i actually around the time when i first started with with EY i was i'd met some guys in the park in Piedmont Park it's just like this you know i guess a hippie thing or something but we we you know i played djembe and mostly djembe but some other you know, percussion instruments but we would hang out in the park and um and uh, and we'd meet and play once a week and, and so forth. But then we started actually putting a, 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 a thing together. We actually got gigs at, at little clubs where we would, you know, we, we, we worked on these traditional African rhythms and we had these costumes and it, it sort of it, it evolved, you know, without us even, I guess, even planning on it. But, um, but around 19, uh, I guess late 1995, they were auditioning percussionists for, for the, uh, the 96 opening ceremonies for the Olympics. And, um, and so our, our group went in mass and we, 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 um, we tried out and we all were accepted to perform in the opening ceremonies of the Olympics in 96 in Atlanta. And, and the, the cool thing about that is the, um, the opening drum track was created by Mickey Hart from the Grateful Dead and an African drummer named Babatunde Olatunje. Um, so, so it was kind of the best of both worlds. I was playing a, you know, a composition by, a Grateful Dead member and a and, and a prominent West African percussionist. Um, so it was uh so that was an interesting experience. The whole you know beginning part of '96, we we rehearsed at the you know at the stadium. E Y was actually good enough to give me some time off to do these rehearsals and uh and um you know when we played, if anybody remembers seeing it, it was a long time ago. But we we had these huge towers uh, that were created. It was kind of a a, a futuristic. Um, looking towers with these huge drums that were actually designed by Remo Belli of Remo Drums. So, um, and we, we had the opportunity to meet Remo and we met Mickey Hart and all of that. And so that was a, that was an interesting experience. So that was, um, that was part of my sort of African foray into African music, which I still, you know, play around with here and there. I, I didn't find it a stretch for you being in a uh, cover band for the Grateful Dead to end up in a hippie Park playing percussion. I think that there you go. Just yep. smooth as <laughs> butter. That transition. <laughs> yep. We've really kind of gone off the the trail on your EY career, and perhaps we need to uh, to get that back onto the tracks and head down and see how you got to where you did get to. And we already have the kind of that early history. Perhaps uh, now we can kind of move on to some of this. Like pre-COVID, what were you? What was your role? And and what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I was, you know, I, I spent about probably about ten years, you know, in in the design department, supporting events, but but doing a lot of design work. Doing ended up doing a lot of illustration, believe it or not, um, also for events. Um, and I'll touch on this just for a second, just because it was kind of an interesting uh, sort of avenue. Um, because we were, um, you know, we're, you know, we are uh, one of our 
our largest uh, program just called Entrepreneur of the Year. And um, one of the, it, which is basically the Academy Awards for Entrepreneurs. It's a, you know, it's celebrating the top entrepreneurs uh, in the particular regions around the world, but ultimately, you know, the top entrepreneurs in the world. Uh, but at the time in the early 90s, we were um, in the mid 90s, it was a bit of a challenge to get uh, to get content from some of these winners or some of these nominees to get images, to get you know photos. Digital cameras weren't really there. Uh, so people weren't, you know, we, they couldn't just take a high res image and send it to us. Uh, most of the time we were we were scanning in uh, photos from a brochure somewhere. And then in those images we would use for our video vignettes or we would use for printed material you know, for all the different components of the events. Um, but they were all over the place as far as this, you know, the quality of the imageries and so forth, so uh, of the images. So what I started doing was, was creating um, portrait illustrations of each of, the, uh, of each of the winners, which would provide some consistency um, across the board. So all, all the material would look the same um, or, or have a similar style. Um, so I ultimately ended up doing that for about, Three or four years, so creating illustrations for some of these for, for these events. Um, as that sort of evolved, and I, you know, I continued to 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 support you know meetings and events um, throughout the United States. At, at that time, we weren't really you know we weren't doing a lot on the global front. Um, I, I, our firm, you know, in the in the mid '90s, was still you know we had our areas. We had Americas, we had EMEA, we had Asia Pac, but we we didn't really have a global a focus as far as um, as far as our uh, support for for events and that sort of thing across the globe. So I was still primarily supporting you know America's based events, um, but um, at, there came a time when when my boss Kenny McDonald, who I think everybody on this call knows, everybody um, knows, <laughs> everybody knows. Uh, you know he was, and I'm going to stop and talk about him for one second because it's going to help you know make things clear. But he um, he. Uh, was kind of a one-man band for, for many years. And he actually started uh, our, our event production department uh, here at EY. And, um, and, uh, and uh, you know, at the time, we were utilizing some external agencies and so forth. And he, um, you know, there was a time where he, you know, he walked into his boss's office and said, you know what, I think we can, I think we can handle some of this on our own. I think I can, I can manage this, this partner event. I can pull all the teams together, and I can put on a successful event. Um, and and if I fail, you can fire me. Basically, um, well, long story short, it was a very successful event. Um, started the relationships with a lot of great suppliers that we still work with today. Um, but for for many years, he was he was the one one man band as far as our our production agency, uh, you know, with, within EY. Um, but as the as the firm grew, uh, as the demands you know for his time grew, um, I was actually at a point. In, 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 the, in my design shop where I was, you know, I was kind of at a, at a point where I needed to transition to, to, to something else. Uh, and, and everything kind of aligned because, uh, you know, I, I was passionate about events. It was the same time that he was needing someone to come, come on board, you know, to help build out the production department. Um, so uh, so I, I came on board and I basically, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because, he, you know, and I'm like, well, how do you do this, you know? Uh, and 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 as we all know, who are in the business, you know, and what Kenny said was, there is no, there's no rule book. Basically, you you have to you have to get out there and just do it. You basically have to do it. So so I basically was was I, for lack of a better term, his understudy for about a year, um, doing all aspects of uh, 
uh, fulfilling multiple aspects of event production. Um, you know, learning about audio, learning about all the video, the lighting, um, how to manage the multiple teams, um, working with the designers, the graphics, video folks. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that was, was great about Kenny was he was, uh, he was a one man band and he liked to do it all when he was sitting in front of house, you know? Uh, and I, you know, I didn't know at the time that this was not, that, you know, that this was unusual. Um, but you know, he would always, he, he was, he was the voice of God. He liked, he did all of his play as, you know, I think everybody knows here, but, but he would do all his play on music. He had, you know, all of his music files. So there was so much stuff that he would always do, um, on his own, sit in front of house while, while calling the show and, and doing and reading the paper and everything else. So, uh, you know, so, you know, it was, it was, a, it, I, I didn't know that that was a unique sort of, uh, you know, um, situation. So that's exactly what I, I started doing. You know, I had my, 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 uh, instant replay, my 1402, and I started lugging that stuff around all over the place. And, uh, which I, my office looks very much like it did, uh, back in the old days. Cause that's what, that's how I learned, but w- was learning by just basically trying to do it all. And, um, and, uh, and, and it was fun and I, I, I enjoyed it. I, you know, so I, I was, I was very fortunate to have a good mentor. Um, and, and like I said, I, for about a year, I, you know, we were lockstep, worked every show together. Um, and then from that point on, you know, I, you know, he, 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 he did his events. I did my, I produced my events and we came together on the larger ones. Um, but, uh, but, you know, one of the things along that path is I, as I started getting involved with events is, you know, as I mentioned, I was into, you know, 3d, you know, 3d modeling way back when. And, um, and, and so Kenny turned me on to Vectorworks, and, uh, and, and, you know, it was, it was, I, I had a huge comfort level with, with, uh, with Vectorworks, you know, not only in, in designing new things, I designed a couple of set pieces, um, but, you know, laying, being able to really lay out, the, you know, an event space and, um, and, and really help to communicate uh, with, you know, with my stakeholders and my clients and with the, with the uh, you, know, you know, with the other crew members and ultimately learning how to use it as a collaborative tool uh, with, with all the, uh, the, the different, um, you know, suppliers that would be involved with a particular program. So I really, really got into you know, to doing the vector works, doing the design and creating, you know, helping really just to create an event literally from the ground up. So, um, so I, I really fully appreciated all the, the, the creative aspects as much as I did, uh, the technical uh, components. Right. I have one real quick Kenny story, and this is kind of epitomizes what you just said. So I'm, I'm sitting in front of house with Kenny and he's got 18,000 things going on, plus the newspaper and a cup of coffee and, uh, the cue was that uh, some uh, two kind of doors, left, stage left and stage right, and each door had its own light behind and in front and a little pathway coming up. And my job was when the cue came, I was bringing up a little light behind the door. The door f- from the front was lit, and when the name is announced, the door opens and the person comes out. And one cue that I missed was the little light in behind the door. And the person came out, I had all the other cues right, but I missed the little light behind the door. And I look over at Kenny and he's kind of just yelling things about, you know, this person coming on and then turning back to the newspaper. And then about two nights later, we're sitting around the table eating dinner. And uh, he looked at me and he said, Dave, the other day, why did you miss that light behind the door? 
<laughs> I was like, oh my God. I just thought, uh, I just turned white. <laughs> Sorry, Kenny. Yep. <laughs> but it was steel that, trap. That is the truth. It, it, his attention to detail, he, he wouldn't miss a thing. And, and yeah. uh, I think it, it made everyone better the fact that he wouldn't miss a thing because you had to make sure that every detail was checked and double checked you know just things like shutters on a hard set if if a shutter was not 100 locked in place if it was two or three inches off and you know if you're sitting at the back of the room you can barely recognize that yeah if they were not perfect you know he just sidebar sometimes it wouldn't be a sidebar sometimes it would be <laughs> a, you know a cross com with everybody <laughs> Or on, the, or on the VOG mic. Yes, or on the VOG mic, uh, but he, he would let you know. Hey, everybody, it's shout-out time again, and today my shout-out goes to Linda's La Cantina in Orlando, Florida. Linda's is an old-school steakhouse serving steaks since 1947. I used to live just down the street when I was in Orlando, and I would make a point of being in there at least once a month. Uh, although I haven't traveled in quite some time, next time I am in Orlando, I'm going to do my best to get in there and have their large T-bone. For more information about how to get a table and what's on the menu, visit lindaslacantina.com. That's Linda's La Cantina in Orlando, Florida. So you've kind of taken over that you you learned some stuff from Kenny there must be your own stuff that you've now obviously with the with your experience with Vectorworks and you know some of your history with art and and graphics you kind of have added your own flavor to production and have you kind of changed the the way things are done there at all do you have a new view of it yeah, I, I think that you know and, and one of the things that we're, you know we're I'm experimenting now is just is, is uh I've evolved back into Cinema 4D, which, funny enough, is very similar to, to the to 3D studio that I used back in the day, um, but creating augmented um, reality set pieces. So, uh, you know, so I still, I still want to, you know, even though I, um, I, I'm, I'm a producer, I, I still want to stay very heavily involved with the design and, and, and keeping, continuing to get my hands dirty with the design and being part of that process and as we've evolved into this through covid and so forth um you know i'm i'm, I'm kind of combining you know producing you know virtual events not to jump ahead too much but but also staying you know staying with my my creative roots and and, and working with doing some video production and, and things like that so i think it really has helped me uh you know from a communicative standpoint with some of my with some of our suppliers with our design teams um, I'm, I'm heavily involved with, with, with the design and, 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 and the overall vision of, of certain events that I, you know, um, it's not just about the logistics of pulling an event together. So. And where, where do you stand now with the one man band situation? Obviously you, you know, you, you took that on and, and, and through that time, as you learn from, say, Kenny, there's been a lot of changes at EY, a lot of globalization. Uh, where, where are you now with that? Do you still feel that you're 
you you pull off the one man band side, or or is it now because of globalization and expansion, uh, you are are you doing more delegation? It's it's kind of a combination, and I'm not really a one man band because I do have a team. I've got you know while while Kenny was here, we we had hired um, um, Trinia Brookman, who's located in Minneapolis, and um, and so we kind of round out you know. America support and, and and then we go beyond to global events. In fact, she's supporting a global event now. Um, and I've got two team members that are uh, based in um, Paris, one in Paris and one in Luxembourg. So we we do have a global team. Um, as far as, as as it's still a very light, you know, lean and mean team. Uh, so we do we we are we do outsource uh, quite quite a bit. We have built out a a team of maybe five producers. Uh, around the world, we're still working a little bit on Asia Pac, um, but but uh, you know, so w- we do have a, a broader team of folks. We, we're definitely not a not a one man band anymore, but it's not something that we're you know I I would see evolving more beyond you know where we're at currently. Right. So does that does that reduce your the pressure for you to travel? Then you've got sort of the, the you know people in in various cities now. It's just like okay, that's taken care of. Uh, or do you still get yourself involved in going to do the site checks there and then say, okay, I feel comfortable and, you know, person X take over, uh, from here or, or are you just handing it right off? We've got this program that needs to be dealt with. Here's the, the scope and away you go. I think that, yeah. So, so there, there's a lot of events that I won't, I don't need to travel for. Uh, I know that, you know, Going back to Kenny, you know, he 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 was a globetrotter nonstop. And uh, and so we I was pretty much a globetrotter nonstop. In fact, right before COVID, I got uh, my the announcement that I uh, that I hit a million miles with Delta. And it's one of those things to where you're like you uh, you're like, oh, should I be proud of this or should I be like, <laughs> holy shit, I just traveled a million miles. Where did that time go? Um I didn't get, you know, people have asked me, Sam Elliott didn't come sit next to me on the plane and there weren't any balloons or confetti. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think I ended up getting a little handbag, a uh, Toomey handbag for, uh, for, for that, those million miles. But, but um, at that time, it was, and that was, that was just before COVID. So that was the latter part of, uh, of, uh, of 2019. But um, it, it made me realize I definitely, it was time to cut back on travel anyways. And um, and to really start, you know, uh, leveraging some resources around the globe. So so our high le- high level executive programs, I'm you know, I'm I'm still going to be a, heavily a part of, uh, but but yeah, I'll, I'll you know, there's there's many programs that I wouldn't necessarily need to travel for. But you know, I will say, you know, and and this is even pre-COVID, there was some changes that were happening in the industry, both the airline industry and and events industry, and, and just corporations in general. Uh, you know, in January of, of 2019 at, at the World Economic Forum, um, climate change was a big was 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 a big topic at that event, and uh, and there was a lot of stuff that came out of that um, that that started to really filter out uh, globally. There was a there was a panel of, or survey or something with almost 800 e- economists from around the world, and they started talking about the economic impact of 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 climate change. And and I think that there was a number of you know, they were saying that if we continue on, that you know the path that we're going, it, you know it 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 could cost up to one point seven trillion dollars by the year twenty fifty, um, and and because of because of natural disasters that that are starting to occur because of you know because of um, 
you know, uh, because of climate change. Uh, so, so there's, um, you know, there was a, a lot of, a lot of things that were starting to bubble up about how do we, you know, from an economical standpoint, let alone, you know, you know, the sustainability, you know, how, how can corporations start making some changes? Uh, and one of those was, was becoming carbon neutral. Lots, a lot of, a lot of, um, corporations started saying, okay, we started looking at how many flights they were taking. You know, uh, we were probably flying a little too much. We need to, we need to cut our emissions back. Um, and, and so there was, there were steps that were already being, being taken in early 2019, uh, about just overall globally cutting back on, on flights and, and keeping a lower or even a car, uh, lower carbon footprint. So, That's so I think there was, you know, there was some changes and that, and then, you know, technology starting to, you know, starting to advance, you know, you know, the, the talk of hybrid events, the talk of more virtual events was starting to, you know, was, was starting to be, you know, part of the conversation, you know, uh, that predated COVID by a year, I think. Right. So that said, knowing that you are involved directly and indirectly in hundreds of events every year, what does that look like in COVID, where have you guys gone? Obviously, you know, you've gone to the virtual side, but how has that affected the number of events that you're managing and the size of those events as far as online versus in person? Well, I mean, I think a lot of things, I mean, obviously everything's been virtual. Um, and, and, and I feel like there's still, you know, we went through that period where there wasn't any events at all. People were trying to figure out their way, how we were going to do it. Um, now it's it's very busy, very active from a virtual standpoint, and we've learned we've learned a lot. We've learned we learned some positive things from it, and we've learned you know what what you know why we need to be back in, into live events as well. I mean, yeah, I did a virtual event. I, I helped produce a virtual event a few weeks ago where we had you know thirteen thousand people attend you know the course of, of two of two sessions. And, uh, and I wouldn't think of doing a live event with 13,000 people, I mean, typically. So that was, you know, it's pretty amazing, I thought, that we could put on this, this cool program and, and have that, that kind of reach. Um, I, you know, I don't think a few years ago you could have done that. So, so there's, there are some cool things about it. But what, you know, obviously, and we hear people talk time and time again, you know, we're, we're losing the, you know, the networking aspect of it. And the, the in-person, uh, you know, the intimacy of being in person. And, and I think people really realize what that meant to be in person. And it's not just, yeah, we, we all miss being at the bar, having a you know, good time. But it really that, you know, just building those relationships, it, you know, it's part of it's part of the culture of, of most businesses is, is, is relational. And um, and and so, you know, I, there's a there's a big strong urge to get back into live scenarios. Now there's some programs, you know, like learning events, internal learning programs, internal training, you know, that, that we're going to see kind of stay in a virtual format for the most part mm -hmm. for the, for the time being. But, but those that, that, you know, deal with, with, with clients, potential clients, those, you know, those that, uh, you know, um, those recognition type programs, uh, you know, when people are advancing to a, to a new level, uh, you know, it's very, very important, you know, for us as a culture that we, and for most companies, that we are back in, uh, you know, back together and doing it obviously smartly. But, but it's as soon as it's, you know, we, I mean, we're already having conversations uh, about planning, you know, end of the year, you know, what's, what it's going to look like. We, we, we don't know for sure right now. You know, we're in a very odd, you know, a transitional phase. There's a lot of hope 
um, you know, around, around vaccines, but you know, there's, but we're still kind of, we still need to get over the hump. Uh, but, but it's very much a part of the conversations for a lot of our larger programs on how we're going to do this live and how we're going to do it in a hybrid way. Um, and, and it's going to be, um, it's going to be complicated to do that, but I'm, I'm excited. Um, I'm excited for the challenge. Um, cause we're gonna have to look at events totally different, you know? I think some of the good things about coming back into a live setting is, and I was thinking about this the other day, you know, a lot of what we do is very scientific. People don't realize it, but you know, when you're, when you're putting a pattern on a wall and it's uh, it's got a particular hue and it, you know, it's, it's, it's all very subliminal to, you know, to an attendee. They don't, you know, they, they know they're having a great experience, but they can't, articulate you know why or because of, because of a the music has got a certain beats per minute or whatever but all those things that work together to create this experience um i think a lot of people in the past didn't really think about why why that was uh but i think now when people come back you know after being in front of their computers in their basement for over a year they're going to see those things they're going to say like that's that's it i get it now i get why this is a this means so much to me you know it's all these little subtle things that are working together to create an experience. And that's kind of what we, we do we sell an experience. I mean, content you can get anywhere, but we, we make it an experience. And I think people are going to have a greater appreciation for what, what creates that experience. You know, when we get back in the, in the ballroom. It's no longer just roll simply the best for walkout. It's, I think events, (laughs) I think events have, have matured. A little birdie told me last year that if everything went well, we would have actually seen you up here in Toronto. And yep. uh, that's a that's a shame that, that we don't get to take you to one of my old shout outs from earlier on in the session, but... Uh, well, it's going to happen. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. It's coming. Moving forward, I, you've already kind of touched on it, uh, the return, the, certain things will return in a, a, a certain way. Did you see a lot of that kind of shows where we, we, you've got a certain portion of the audience that's, that's live and a certain portion that, you know, maybe your delegates from, uh, from the Asia Pacific or whatever get piped in. Is that, is that what you're kind of seeing? That's what I think we're going to be seeing. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, what, and for a number of reasons, I mean, I think obviously the technology, we, we know that the technology can do it. We, we can make that happen. Um, you know, and it could, and I don't, I have no idea, you know, it could be from a sustainability standpoint that if, if people are traveling more than 1500 miles and they have the option of going, of staying virtual, uh, could be a DNI, you know, component where it's, 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 you know, it needs to be accessible if someone's not able to travel. But but um, or it could just be that you want this event to have a, a broader reach. Um, so so I think there's multiple reasons why m- most events are going to have a hybrid model. Um, but it's going to be you know it'll be very different putting on an event. You know you know in the past I wouldn't you know anything under you know say 300 people I probably wouldn't have iMag probably wouldn't have cameras. Uh, now regardless I may have three cameras at every show because you know how, because it's going to be a, a challenge to how do we make this engaging to those to those folks at home. Um, and so there's going to be some, you know, a, a lot of new technologies or additional technologies that we're going to be implementing on a more regular basis to, to make that uh, worthwhile. And I guess that's where you may start implementing some of that virtual 3D technology to, to help jazz up a, a live performance for, for the people that are at home or at their office and not a, available to attend the meeting. 
Yeah, and it's going to be it's going to be a little bit of trial and error, and I think it's going to be a lot of um, it's going to be a lot of us in the industry like we're doing now, communicating with each other because you know we have so much wisdom. Everybody I know, yourself, me, a lot of other people in the in the business that have been doing this for decades, we all of our most of our wisdom comes from when things went wrong and we had to figure out what you know how to how to how to write it again, how to correct it. You know, that's where the wis- really you know strong wisdom comes from. You know. And we've only been in this for for a little while, and we're going into a new paradigm now. And so us continuing the conversation with with all all of us in the industry, not just the production industry, but with hotels and and just, you know, making sure that our network is is solid and fluid is going to help us all navigate this because we need to learn from each other's uh, mistakes, if you will. Well, I've got quite a few. So if you need some good learning... I think that this is a good place as any to kind of wind down a little bit. You know, as otherwise we could probably do a three or four hour long and we'll divide it up into part one, part two, part three. But uh, the information and, and, the, uh, and the honesty has been, uh, has been amazing to, to have you on here. And you know, at the end of each one of these recordings, we ask our guest to give a little shout out to one of the restaurants or bars that they possibly would love to go back to when we get back on the road and we can have a, a dinner together with with friends. And I'm going to open it to you, uh, Robert, to give us a little shout out to one of your favorite restaurants. Well, perfect. Well, first of all, I want to thank you guys for, for giving me the opportunity to chat with you, with you both. It's, uh, it's uh, I you know I appreciate what you guys are doing, and like I said, it's a, it's really important that we keep this dialogue going. So I think you're doing a great thing, and uh, and so I I really want to thank you for um, uh, for for inviting me on and for for having this podcast. So um, so I will say you know I, I thought about all the places that I, that I travel to and 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 bars and restaurants, and and I actually kept coming back to a, a restaurant event facility that's not too far from where I live actually, but uh, it's just north of Atlanta, Georgia. And it's um it's called the Hunt House. It's in Marietta. It's at the foothills of historic uh, Kennesaw Mountain. Um, but it's uh it's uh, you know I I'm choosing it for a number of reasons. It's uh you know it's it's an old I don't know it's got to be over a hundred years old and it's sort of nestled kind of hidden, um you know in in, in a in a wooded area. But it, but it uh you know it's got an indoor and outdoor live music venue. They're very uh you know solid uh, music fans. And so it's it's helping it's helped get a lot of people through this 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 COVID time um, because they've got a, a, a fairly safe area for for live music to perform. Uh, they're also a catering company, so they know they know food. They're very much a, a, a farm to table, you know, organic type restaurant. So they they know they know it's not just typical bar food. So uh, it's 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 tasty food. It's great beer and it's, it's live music and it's. Uh, you know, it's a it's a spot that I would recommend over and over again. Well, it's, I suddenly have become very hungry and thirsty, <laughs> and ready and to don't listen to some music. <laughs> and yeah, and the live music. So highly recommend it. And I appreciate the detail that you put into the shout out. I I have a tendency to just say, "Go here, it's good." Right? Yeah. That's uh, th- that's amazing, and, and uh, it, we needed some more uh, kind of East Coast. Uh, restaurants. We haven't even got to New York yet. Nobody yet has called out a restaurant in in New York. So we got. <laughs> I just don't want to get sued for saying the wrong thing about New York. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> Could be. Uh, well, I, I got to tell you, Robert, I, I look so forward to uh, seeing you again uh, on, on some event or, you know, if it doesn't work out to, to be on an event with you, then by all means, if you get up uh, my neck of the woods, give me a call because uh, I've got lots of places to, to go and have a nice dinner with you and, and would really like, uh, look forward to, to doing that with you. So um, uh, I thank you again and all the best. Andrew and I will uh, will put you on mute so you can, if you want, you can listen to us close up. It's about a five minute close. We do a little dance number, some singing. Nice. <laughs> or you can just hang up. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll I'll stick around. And I, once again, thanks thanks again for having me. I really, yeah, our really pleasure, our it. pleasure. Yeah. Robert, thank you from me. It's been a real pleasure, and and I. Cannot wait to get back and uh, see you in person and, and go out and do some more of what we've done together for many years. So all the best to you and uh, and the whole family, and we'll see you soon. And keep on drumming. I definitely will. Thanks so much, Andrew and Dave. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, Dave, that was, uh, that was fantastic. It was so great to have Robert on. A uh, good friend of mine, uh, you know, you've known him for a, a long time as well. And, and uh, it's, I had no idea that, that, you know, I knew that Robert was multi-talented and he had, he had quite an extensive musical and art background, but uh, I, I didn't know about the opening ceremony, the, the entertainment <laughs> at the 1996 Olympics. So that's, uh, you learn something new every day. Yeah. I'd like to pull that out of my hat. I, you know, I was a, a high diver in uh, Seoul, Korea. I think. I'm, no, I'm, I wasn't. I just wish I could pull out something like that. Here, here's here. some video footage. Just don't <laughs> zoom in. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to hand it to both Robert and Kenny over the years. Iany has supported both Lightworks in Canada and uh, Touchlight uh, in the U.S. and you know, the, the trust and, you know, friendliness that they've shown us. It's got to be, I think I did my first ENY entrepreneur and I think it was like 89 in Toronto and did them every year up until 2019. And uh, so that, that kind of, just having, having uh, that kind of trust and, and friendship uh, in in the industry is, is crazy. It's very hard to find. So I appreciate absolutely everything that they've done for us. And uh, now I'll just leave it up to you to say something funny for the end. I I knew it. I knew it. He had nothing, nothing for us. So. Put me on the spot like that. <laughs> I, I I always get up to uh, to the cottage, and there's one particular family that comes over, and I'll be sitting there, a nice big dinner with everybody around the table, and they they go, "Oh, Dave's so funny, Dave's so funny," and they look and they go, "Dave, say something funny," and it it gets you. Or they've heard me kind of do a joke rap before at breakfast. I'll just go, "Dave, do a rap." Nothing. It's like spontaneous humor is the hardest thing to do. So I, to all those comedians out there who can do it, I'm not one of them. Your job is safe. That's right. I, I, I believe that's now called freestyling. Dave, freestyle for us. Yeah. Maybe they'll say that, but these were pretty young kids. These were like five, six, seven, eight year olds. Now that oh, I think they're probably 15, what, you, 16. You can, yeah, they can see right through it and they can smell fear. Oh. They can see and smell fear. So <laughs> it, it's... Kids can do that. Kids can smell fear. And you know what? I fear it's the end of our show. 
It is. It, it is. is. Have no fear, Dave. Another we'll be, one will come. The only people who should be fearful are our listener, because there will be more of these. There you go. So with that, with I'm that, ready to call it. To call the meeting. To call this meeting yes. is adjourned. The meeting is adjourned. Once again, thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Robert Newton, for uh, being with us today. And thank you to our listener. And we'll, uh, we'll talk again. See everybody. Thanks, Dave. See ya. Well, Andrew, again, I'd say that's a wrap. We want to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their experiences. We would also really like to thank you, the listener, for your time and support of this podcast. And don't forget that we're all in it together. So help out where you can and support everyone going through tough times right now. We hope to see everybody back on the road soon. See you later.